on this edition of Kiwi Tripsters Escape to Ruapehu this winter. We celebrate this living landscape of ancient rainforests, active volcanoes, snow-cloaked mountains, evocative rivers of mystical tranquility and two national parks. From Blue Duck Station and the Bridge to Nowhere to Riding the Skywalker, we warmly embrace the greater outdoors in Ruapehu. Welcome back to Kiwi Tripsters. Buckle up and take off to spectacular destinations as we continue our journey and share the inside word on all things travel. Whether it's luxury travel or backpacking on a budget, whether it's cruising or foodie trips, we've got you covered with top tips and tricks so you can have an amazing travel experience. And now, over to your hosts, Mike Yardley and Chris Lynch. Welcome aboard Kiwi Tripsters. I'm Chris Lynch. I'm Mike Yardley. Good to be with you, Chris. Well, it is, but I'm getting a bit cold. The winter is starting to bite, and surely the best way to cope is to simply embrace the elements, right? And Indeed. head to the North Island, as you've been to the remarkable Ruapehu district, and there is so much to see, including outdoorsy stuff. That's really its uh, high point, I think, Chris. Uh, The outdoorsy possibilities are just limitless. And um, I don't know how many times you would have to go there to start to get bored. I have not reached that point yet because the embarrassment of riches just rolls on in Ruapehu. I've long wanted to roam the Whanganui River, which is a boundary buster because Part of it's in the Ruapehu district and part of it obviously in the Whanganui district. It is such a long and slinky body of water, has no respect for territorial demarcation lines, um, and it begins its life uh, winding its way to the Tasman Sea as an alpine spring on the slopes of Mount Tongariro. But before taking a ride on the water, how good, though, is the river road you were talking to me about off here? It's amazing, isn't it? It is sensational. And I began my encounter on this road, which links Whanganui to Pipariki. And it's a, a really intimate, picturesque romp with the lower reaches of the river. <clears throat> it all feels so removed from the bustle of modern life, and you'll pass through these really small river communities that beat to their own pace, and it's backdropped by the towering splendour of Whanganui National Park. I don't think there is a riverside scenic driving route in New Zealand quite like it. It took about 30 years to construct this road, and it finally opened in 1934. But if you start from the south end, uh, just close to Whanganui Town, uh, one of the early highlights is a stopping-off point called Ara Moana Viewpoint, and it serves up the most incredible view of the grandeur of that river valley. And when you look down at the river, it looks like a fjord marching through the countryside and out on the eastern horizon, Mount Ruapehu gleaming in the sunshine. And you'll also notice how... <clears throat> Um, The road is essentially built into the side of the cliff line. And I went past a place called Oyster Cliffs, which is very well named because these sheer cliffs that dramatically rise up from the road are actually layers upon layers of fossilised oyster shells because, um, yeah, much of the region was once seabed that has since been uplifted. It's amazing to think how those workers actually constructed that road. I think that's probably why it took 30 years to build. Oh, well. (laughs) Yeah. I'll let them have that. Yeah. What about the marae? You'll pass by so many marae, and they are like little reminders to the long and deep connection uh, Māori have had 
with the river, living alongside this river for centuries. Uh, Pangarehu Marae actually houses one of the last historical waka that was used on the river. And then I went through a place called Jerusalem, which is also known as Hiru Harama. Um, this is a fabulous little settlement with so much history because the missionaries rocked into this part of the world in the 1840s. And um, you will notice the huge spire of St. Joseph's Catholic Church rising up at Jerusalem. The convent along with the church were built in the 1890s and Mother Mary Joseph Orbea did wonders here. She was a French-born nun, came out to New Zealand and her compassion and drive and respect for Maori elevated their health and childcare not only on the river but later in Wellington. She is now on track to become New Zealand's first saint. Her application as such mm. is before the Pope at the Vatican at the moment. Um, Jerusalem is also synonymous with James K. Baxter. His commune was at uh, Jerusalem and it closed soon after his death in 1972. What about um, accommodation? I know you stayed at the Flying Fox Lodge. Did you I did. do any flying? Well, I was a little bit surprised, Chris, in terms of uh, striking an amazing first impression. This place certainly does it because when I parked my car, you then notice there is a sign to say, uh, ring the gong to order up the cable car. So you've parked your car on one side of the river, right? And then this cable car comes across the river. You chuck your suitcase and yourself onto the cable car and then it hoists you across to the west bank of the river, which is where the Flying Fox Lodge is based. It was originally established as an accommodation venture by the former Wanganui Mayor Annette Main, but there is a real touch of the storybook to this place. You've got these fabulous cottages that have been hand-built from reclaimed materials. They've got lovely twisted sort of chimneys jutting out of them, and it's all perched high on the riverbank, backed by the National Park. Um, it's a really popular retreat with cyclists doing the mountains to sea trail, so they'll park their bikes where I parked my car and then head over the cable car. Also canoeists on the river, they'll drop into a flying fox for lunch or maybe an overnighter. Um, I stayed in a cottage called Riverboat Cottage and its walls were lined with the most amazing photos of all of the old paddle steamers that used to ply the river between Whanganui and Tomaranui back in the day. It was like the main highway, um, you know, through the 20s, 30s and 40s. And ramping up the sense of escapism, the best thing of all, I awoke to the most incredibly celestial spectacle of all these fingers of mist rising oh, from the river. It's just beautiful. Um, Pepperiki is where to head for the jet boat tours, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. So this is sort of about halfway up the uh, Whanganui River, and um, I hooked up with Ken and Josephine, who are the go-tos for jet boat touring. They run Whanganui River Adventures, and I joined their half-day tour to the Bridge to Nowhere. They're actually the only local Māori-owned commercial jet boat business on the river. They live and breathe Fantastic. the river. Yeah. I mean, Ken's been driving jet boats on the river for 35 years, and all of their like family stories have all been passed down over the generations. So you'll just learn so much from that, you know, local knowledge perspective about the river. For example, like Ken pointed out to me, where uh, over the centuries Maori cultivated the sheltered terraces along the riverbanks, uh, where they built eel weirs along the river channels to catch the eel. Um, and I also noticed as we were cruising along the river on the jet boat. Along the waterline of those cliffs, 
you see all of these holes um, as if they've been like punched into the cliffs. Mm. And Ken said to me that the round holes are called toko. Uh, they're from canoe poles. So back in the day, you would be in your waka out on a fishing expedition, Chris, and you would stick your toko, your canoe pole, into mm. the cliff to help you navigate uh, the wild rapids of the river. Um, yeah, so incredible. all of these holes have been like punched into the cliff from Maori over hundreds and hundreds of years. Imagine the work that would have gone into that. I know. Yeah, you just know. to get a feed. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, what are the, some of the other highlights? I know, I know there are quite a few on the water, Mike. Well, the whole thing is just a visual symphony. It's so theatrical because you've got these really deep gorges you pass through, uh, vertical papa cliff walls, and of course in the rain they just stream with waterfalls, and then all of that forest, that dense cloak of ancient podocarp forest, uh, the river's got its own microclimate because it is so sheltered and you'll notice how the tree ferns and so much plant life just seems to cling incredulously to the yeah. cliff face, growing at improbable angles. But I think the overwhelming thing, Chris, is there is a sense of something special about the place. There is a mood, a certain energy. Mm. I half expected a fleet of waka to suddenly appear out of the mist, you know, fully mm. um, crewed with warriors. Um, <laughs> or similarly, I sort of half expected a paddle steamer to come along the uh, the river en route to Tomara Nui. Um, it really is a special place and you do get a, a taste for that sense of history. How easy is it to reach the bridge to nowhere? Well, it's certainly a breeze to get there by jet boat. You can cycle it, you can walk it on those multi-day tracks, but uh, the easiest way is to get on one of Ken's jet boats. Uh, we tied up at a place called Manga Perua Landing, and from there it's just a 40-minute stroll through the rainforest to reach the bridge. And every step of the way, I was actually shadowed by North Island robins, and they were eager to grab the grubs unearthed by my footprints. Um, pungas, 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 they are everywhere on this walk. And they also bracket uh, the bridge to nowhere. And it's just the most incredible knockout spectacle in the Mangaparua Valley, which is sort of nicknamed the Valley of Broken Dreams, because this is the valley where a lot of uh, returned servicemen from World War One were given land um, to turn into farms by the mm. government. But it was just backbreaking. It was so hard. And by the early 40s, just a few years after this bridge was finished across the stream, the government uh, refused to maintain the road any longer because it just was continually battered by storms. So today it is this walking and cycle trail, the Mountains to Sea Trail. But a jet boat ride with Ken is definitely a great way to check out this wonderful part of the world. Coming up, more River Wonders. Mike takes a visit to Blue Duck Station. You're with Kiwi Tripsters, I'm Mike Yardley as we continue our romp through the Ruapehu district. An unrivaled experience that I cannot recommend enough is to take a jaunt into the heartland of the Retaruki Valley. Blue Duck Station rises up from the banks of the Wanganui and Retaruki Rivers. It's surrounded by the Wanganui National Park. This is a high country station that is so wild, so immense and wondrous you will feel like you have entered a kingdom unto itself. And joining us is the boss of Blue Duck. He's a passionate conservationist, farmer, 
tourism operator, and a multiple recipient of the Balanced Farm Environment Awards, Dan Steele. Dan, thank you very much for joining us. Good as wood, Mike. Nice to be here. Excellent. Now, for those unacquainted with Blue Duck Station, just give us a bit of um, a quick background on the station. How long have you been in charge? I started Blue Duck in 2005 after coming back from overseas and seeing the world and realising how special New Zealand was and and, uh, and, uh, and particularly where my parents had bought some land in this uh, historic valley. So I uh, came back and managed to buy some neighbouring properties and, and set up Blue Duck Station. Was conservation part of your master plan from the get-go? Yes, it was, although it's been an evolving plan. I didn't, you know, I still don't understand now how we fully have to conserve what we've got left in New Zealand. You know, this is a real learning journey. But I knew back then that I loved Mother Nature. And in New Zealand, she needs a lot of help. I don't think I have experienced a high country farm quite like yours, Dan. What do you think sets it apart? Look, it's, uh, it's it's the rainforest, I suppose, that's quite unexpected in, in, the, in the North Island. And the geological formations of this land, sedimentary, formed under the ocean, pushed up out of the ocean rapidly and then, and then eroding back to these beautiful big valleys and uh, gorges that are pretty spectacular, um, full of fossils. And, and uh, it's made for a, a pretty dramatic landscape. And when you get into the bottom of the gorges it's beautiful and you get up in the tops of the hills and look around across the central north island it's uh beautiful also so i think it's just uh it's it's rugged rugged land but that adds to its beauty doesn't it totally absolutely how many hectares do you have under your wing oh we're farming between my property blue duck station and my parents red station we've got around three thousand hectares uh a lot of it's uh reverting back into native bush, which is the best thing it should be, uh, and some of it's virgin native bush, and uh, you know, so we, and we're farming some of it. So we're farming tourism, honey, uh, a bit of carbon, a bit of, you know, really diversified, Mike, yeah. Yeah, I was really intrigued by your Manuka honey production. How is that going? Very well, very well. Yeah, last year we produced 49,000 kilograms of Manuka off the station uh this year is not going to be quite as much but it's looking in the vicinity of uh maybe 30,000 30,000 30, odd kilograms of uh, production um and that's just manuka honey you know good grading manuka honey so it's a huge product for us yeah obviously a lot of visitors to blue duck station have a huge range of activities they can do and i um understand a lot of people will go there to hunt is hunting an important part of conservation, Dan? It absolutely is in New Zealand. And that's something that I don't think uh, we we understand well enough in New Zealand, that these things are introduced into New Zealand. They've got no predators. We've got things like deer, pigs, goats, possums, rabbits. Uh, or, you know, They've got nothing that's naturally controlling them. And they get out of balance very, very quickly. Their numbers build up very quickly. And man has to control those things and so hunting is a very very important part of conservation of course it should be done well ethically humanely uh and you you should use as much of the meat as you can it's uh free range it's organic it's the best meat in the world 
but it, uh, it, it needs to be done, and it, but it needs to be done properly. Tell me about the sheep, and I was intrigued to learn about this breeding program that you are part of, which is seeking to, to breed a sheep that will have a more minimal impact, you know, when it comes to um, its environmental impact. How's that going? Look, it's, yeah, it's, it's, going, it's going well. We're, uh, we're a few years into our breeding program, uh, and we're going along with a line of a, 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 a genetic sheep called the ultimate sheep, which is, um, which is a mix of different breeds. But what we're trying to do is find a sheep that suits the environment and uh, that we can farm as naturally and as humanely as we can. So in the end, we want the sheep to be healthy in our environment. Uh, we don't want to be uh, docking or dipping or dagging or drenching. We want that sheep to, to uh, be able to survive well on its own. And then we just select the fat animals out, you know, for... Uh, for for processing eating as and when we uh, when we want to, I was gobsmacked by the size of some of your wetlands and some of the the projects you've got underway to to build more wetlands. Um, that must be epic work, Dan. <laughs> Serious earth moving. It's too many projects I have. It's too many projects. But um, look, I'm I'm planning on passing a lot of these projects onto my children. So you know, uh, <laughs> that's the big plan. Yeah, look, there's there's so much that needs to be done. We we cut in this sort of country, we cut down too much bush, we drain too many wetlands, uh, and those things, hand on heart, need to be rectified for water quality and biodiversity, and and just so New Zealand's a really cool place to live, you know. Um, so yeah, I've got I've got big plans. It's I, I couldn't tell you how long it's going to take me, but fencing and planting and retiring and yeah, it's um it's all got to be done. It's incredible. Um, I must um, ask you, by the way, about the the fior, the the blue ducks, and also the kiwi you have on your station. How many fior do you have? How many pairs do you have? Look, on and around the station, we usually we usually consider we've got between eight and twelve pairs. Um, you know, you don't find them every time, but it's probably you know probably average is more like twelve pairs on and around the, and next door to the station. Um, at the moment, we're getting the highest blue duck counts, the highest theo counts we've ever had. Uh, and uh, so the, we think we've halted the decline, but we don't get too excited, you know, because um, cats or floods or anything can change that equation really quickly. Uh, Kiwi numbers, we think just recently, we think we've probably got a lot more than we originally thought and that some Kiwi catching teams have gone in there to do some uh, monitoring and catching birds uh, in the last year or two and they've found many more birds than we thought were resident and they've been finding young birds as well which means that they're recruiting into the population and the kiwi are breeding naturally and in, in, in some valleys where we thought we had two kiwi we've found that there was actually four pairs of kiwi um, so that's been pretty positive yeah Obviously, there's a huge range of activities a visitor can do, and you've got accommodation to to suit all budgets. But the new cherry on top of Blue Duck Station, uh, at the top of the world, is obviously this incredible development, uh, the chef's table. Tell us all about it, Dan. What can people expect? Yeah, it's the chef's table at Blue Duck Station, and it's a, it's a partnership with a top young chef who's got a lot of ambition and ability, and... It's we wanted to take tourism and experiences and to the to really to the next level, uh, literally and figuratively. And and you know so we built this fine dining restaurant. 
really remote. It's probably, you know, one of the most remote restaurants in the world. Uh, it's a crazy project, but you've got to be crazy ambitious to give people really, really special experiences. So this is a cross between your African safari and, and uh, fine dining uh, experience and staying up in the, above, above the rainforest uh, with some really special views. And we just want to, well, the goal is to, we want to be the best overnight experience in New Zealand. Um, and, you know, you might as well aim for the top, eh? It's just incredible, that view, you know, to be able to see Taranaki to the west, Ruapehu to the east, unbelievable. It is truly pinch yourself stuff. Yeah. 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 Uh, we've got big visions and goals for it, and, and uh, we're really enjoying the journey. Just finally, you can taste the sense of history at the station, no matter how short or long your stay is. I was fascinated by some of the little nuggets of history you shared with me. You've even got a Māori chief buried above the river, right? Oh, yeah, look, there's, um, look that's, that's not on our land. It's in the national park just right next door. But there's, uh, look, there's a lot of very special Māori history on the Whanganui River. Uh, and it's a very spiritual place for the Māori people. Uh, you know, they, there was a lot of villages and a lot of gardening and a lot of activity up and down that river. It was their main entrance to the to the central North Island. A very, very important, uh, you know, lifeblood for the Māori communities. And then Europeans also used it for the main access way, and you had the river boats and the bridge to nowhere developed. Uh, and the pioneering families that came up there and tried to farm these valleys and you know, I live in one of the original homestead where the pioneers had 18 children. Uh, <laughs> and the stories are just immense, you know. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, there's history on every corner and every stream. It's all around you here. You could never get bored in your kingdom, Dan. Hey, thank you very much for joining us. If people want further details on Blue Duck Station, nice and easy website to go to, blueduckstation.co.nz. And I've got to come back, Dan. I want to do the horse trekking for the sunrise next time I'm there. Um, that that is truly a, a sensational experience. Hey, thank you so much for your time, Dan. All the very best. Thanks, Mike. Really nice talking to you. Eh? Stay tuned. Kiwi Tripsters will be right back after this break. From snow-cloaked sacred mountains to rivers that run with mystery and drama, escape to the greater outdoors in Ruapehu this winter. From Blue Duck Station and the Bridge to Nowhere to world-class skiing and a romp on the Skywaka, welcome to a world of awe, wonder and adventure. Visit ruapehu.com. You're with Kiwi Tripsters. I'm Chris Lynch. Do you like Blue Duck Station? Sounds absolutely wonderful. I'm missing out. It's certainly a special place. You don't have to miss out, Chris. They are expecting you. They are waiting for you. It is just a remarkable destination. Well, I'll wait for the cell phone to ring. Mm-hmm. Let's change the river for the mountains now because as the mercury falls, Mount Rupehu is powering up for a bit of a boom season. It certainly is. In the heart of Tongariro National Park, you can take a ride to the summit of Ruapehu uh, from Whakapapa Village on the Skywaka Gondola. I love this gondola and it has fast elevated itself as a signature New Zealand experience. If you've been to Switzerland or have often looked at um, some of their gondolas and various alpine contraptions. I'm sure you have thought, wow, they have got such engineering prowess. And 
I would have to say the Skywalker is a match for it because this gondola zips you up 1.8 kilometres from the base station. It is New Zealand's longest gondola ride. And as you gaze out in wonder at uh, the volcanic landscape from your glasshouse-like cabin, you are swaddled in comfort, Chris, because they've even got heated Italian leather seating inside the gondola. Now, this is more me, thank you. It's very luxurious, isn't it? Um, Then you arrive uh, just over 2,000 metres above sea level at Whakapapa's Knoll Ridge Chalet. This is New Zealand's highest cafe, and you'll be gushing superlatives over the amazing views. Uh, Grab some food or drink, but nothing really does beat soaking up, drinking in, meditating with that stupendous alpine Vista. Noel Ridge's giant floor-to-ceiling windows overlooking the pinnacles. I reckon that's the best stop. It is a gob stopper. Now, fingers crossed for a decent ski season this year. Indeed. If you are ready for a cool change, you've got so many options on Ruapehu. Um, they have generally their season running from the first week of July until late October. However, there are some extras to that. If you are a newbie, Happy Valley is one part of uh, the Whakapapa ski field that tends to open early in June. Um, They've had the snow factory operating there uh, since early May. Um, But it's easy to self-drive to Ruapehu ski areas. If you don't want to do that, you can get the shuttle uh, to do the legwork for you. The shuttles run uh, from both Awakuni and also National Park. But Whakapapa ski area is New Zealand's largest just ski area. You've got about 65 trails uh, at Whakapapa uh, and Happy Valley, which I mentioned, that's actually New Zealand's largest beginner ski and snow play area. So you can spend the whole day with a family having the most amazing winter holiday there. They'll offer ski and snowboard lessons, sledding, you can toss your snowballs, you can even build a snowman, Chris. I'll do all of the above, thank you. Um, what about uh, Tūro? That's quite a popular place too. It is. So, yeah, this is the neighbour to Whakapapa, yeah. uh, Tūroa ski area. And even in the peak of the season, you will have so much room to roam because that's what Tūroa is famed for, its sense of space and freedom, its wide-open bowls and shoots. And Tūroa boasts New Zealand's longest vertical drop, 722 metres, boom. Um, and to reach the vertical drop, take a ride on the High Noon Express, which zips you up to the nation's highest lifted point with achingly massive views across the North Island. So yeah, lots of gullies and drops and wide trails, world-class terrain parks at Tūroa, and you will be riveted by how much of the landscape actually resembles frozen waves. Um, If you are a newbie at Tūroa, the place to head is Alpine Meadow. That is tailor-made for beginners, but you will find your feet in no time. Very good. Now, look, for a complete change of scenery, I know you're into your quad biking, so you must have done a bit of that. Well, I have just lost my virginity at quad biking. Steady on. Yes. I thought you've always done that. I oh, know it's your e-bikes you're into. E-bikes, I yes. I forgot that. Okay. Yes, I lost my e-bike virginity about this time last year. In Hemna. Yes, and this year... See, I was listening to what you <laughs> thank say. Thank you. That was the comprehension test. Are you test. proud of me? That's that pretty was, good. Actually, that was quite well, impressive. Just, thank you. Um, so, yes, quad biking. I've always been a bit iffy about quad bikes, Chris, because you hear so many stories in the news, you know, about farmers and farmers' kids coming at guts or on quad bikes. So I was a little bit pensive when I made my way to Ruapehu Adventure Rides at National Park. 
Uh, but I had the most brilliant hosts, Carl and Maria Split. Now, they operate the quad bike tours from their accommodation base at National Park, Mountain Heights Lodge, which is just lovely. And they are sticklers for safety. So I had my helmet, I had my wet weather pants and jacket and gloves and gum boots. Knee pads. Well, I actually had visions of falling Ranger. flat on my face in a mud bath. Uh, from the quad bike, but you useful, like, you usefully, like mud, mud wrestling, day, don't you? No, I'm not into the mud wrestling, Chris. Okay. I actually remained quite mud free on my quad bike tour, um, and I had a Honda quad bike. Carl actually does a really good basic safety lesson and a bit of a competence training course. So if you don't pass his competence training course, you are relegated to a buggy, which <laughs> which he drives and you just sit in. Um, Not like a baby's buggy. No, no, no. I, I had, More I, like a sort I, of a Can-Am. Okay, I had images of you being pushed around in a pram. Oh, yeah, well, I thought that could be the answer, but no, it's more like, you know, like a golf cart. That's still fun. Thank you. That can be fun. But the quad bikes are brilliant. So I was allowed. I passed the competence training test. So I was let loose on the wider all-terrain course. And as a newbie to quad biking, I was neurotic about disgracing myself as a quad bike numpty. But I wasn't actually as useless as I thought I would be on four fat wheels, Chris. Um, And it was brilliant fun. So if you want to give it a go, it is quite exhilarating. Even when you have to ford those menacing-looking mud pools and mount those ridiculously steep banks, the quad bike powers on through. You're with Kiwi Tripsters. Now, where's the best base when exploring the Ruapehu district, Mike? It's a good question because you do have a lot of options. But I guess if you are heading to Ruapehu for the ski season, uh, for winter fun, uh, Owakuni is hard to beat. It is such a charismatic mountain town and it is a tailor-made base for winter wonderland adventure. So from Owakuni, you are just minutes from Turo slopes, for example. And when the day is done on the ski runs at Tūroa, a pre-fun cranks into action in Owakuni. Um, a really good place is the Powder Keg, which is this very frothy venue at the Powderhorn Chateau uh, Lodge. And that is considered the original house of a pre-ski fun. It's got a really good family-friendly vibe. Um, and I actually stayed at the Powderhorn Chateau, which has that sort of European Alpine lodgy feeling about it. Um, fantastic food. It's a great social nexus in Owakuni. And at the Powder Keg Bar and Restaurant, uh, you've got a roaring fire in the cooler months. Uh, great dishes. You cannot beat their gourmet pizzas. Their pork ribs are really good too. And alongside the Powder Keg, they've also got the Matterhorn Grill, which is also good for great fare. The, the chateau looks beautiful, by the way. It has got a lovely lodge feel about it, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it is really well designed, and mm. it's been uh, in Owakuni for about thirty years now. Um, and the chateau is loved for its service, its quality free range food. It's good. Um, they've got an indoor heated pool with bar service on demand. Chris, that's your kind of indulgence. Yes, it is. Thank you. Um, the suite I was staying in, yeah, it had a really homely cocoon feel because of all of that warm timber. It looks Um, cosy without being small. Yeah, absolutely. Lovingly. In some ways, it feels like you're staying in a big log cabin um, with all of the comforts. By the way, another option in Owakuni is the Rocky Mountain Chalets. 
And uh, these are a family favourite. Uh, really comfortable, very intimate, lovely decor. You've got your Sky TV and your free Wi-Fi. They've got um, a couple of spa pools and a sauna on site as well. Um, and each chalet is uniquely designed um, and configured. So, you know, you might be heading there for a lovely romantic retreat or having um, um, a getaway with the extended family. They can get you sorted at the Rocky Mountain chalets. And that's a really easy stroll from there just past the landmark Carrot into uh, the main part of town with all of the walkways uh, taking you to the eateries and the retail enticements of the main street. What about the good eats? Well, if you want breakfast on the run, perhaps you're up early to head off to the ski fields. I really like this place called Thorn. It's right next to the eyesight and it's a food container, really popular on the main street. Uh, Great for... Uh, for coffees to go, organic Hawthorne coffee, organic milk. They do awesome gourmet toasted sandwiches, daily homemade baking. Uh, their muffins, my God, they just do the most amazingly inventive things with flavours for muffins. They are a must to try. Okay, we've got to talk about the chocolate eclairs, please. Oh my goodness, they are just a byword for Oakuni in winter. Johnny Nation's famous Main Street chocolate eclair shop. So they are powering up for the season because they close through summer. They will be back for the seasonal stampede through winter. (laughs) Uh, Typically open in tandem with the ski season. You must sink your teeth into one of their celebrated giant cream-filled chocolate-topped pastries. What about dinner recommendations? I know there's quite a few there as well. You've got so many options. A place I would recommend is reserve a table at the Cypress Tree in Oakuni. It's on the main street. It's been running about 14 years, and this is an Oakuni mainstay, this place. Uh, Small-town hospitality, hearty fare, Lee Lee Stuckey is in charge of uh, the Cypress Tree. All of their their food, as much as they can do, is locally sourced. Uh, They've got a great craft beer list, um, a roaring open fire, comfy couches in the winter. So, yeah, it's really homely. A couple of um, offerings that I checked out, and it's very much a small plates and large plates type of menu. Um, You'll love their southern fried chicken. Uh, and the spiced lamb roti with slaw and mint chutney. Man, that is good. Really good service and really good prices. Well, you've convinced me. By the way, we've got a couple of emails and one from Sally who, who wanted to know, does Mike Yardley ever sit still and does he have a home? <laughs> uh, my home is where I lay down at night and rest my head, Chris. Which can be anywhere across New Zealand or the world. Well, sometimes. It is always nice to come home though. I am. I do have a home. Okay. I am not a nomad. Sally, we hope we've answered your question. That is uh, that is all for this edition of Kiwi uh, Tripsters. I don't live in an emergency motel. Okay. Thank you. Well, you, you Contrary to rumour. Well, you could do. <laughs> Make sure you like us on our Facebook page. Our show notes are available on the website as well at kiwitripsters.co.nz. By the way, if you do want to check out the articles related to what Chris and I have been discussing about the Ruapehu district, both articles, the river and the mountains, um, are on fortheloveoftravel.net.nz. We'd love you to race and review Kiwi Tripsters on the podcast service of your choice. And we'll see you again in a couple of weeks' time. And that's a wrap for this episode of Kiwi Tripsters. Liked what you listened to? 
then join us for our next episode of Kiwi Tripsters, where we bring you more travel inspiration, giveaways, and insider knowledge with expert guests on the show. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram and visit us on kiwitripsters.co.nz. But most importantly, subscribe and comment on Apple Podcasts and tell us what you think of our show. Till next time, safe travels. We'll be right back. 